podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there and welcome to a new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam Burns, I'm one of your hosts and joining me once again my co-host is Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this weekend? You okay? Hello everyone. Yeah, um, to be honest, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm still trying to process exactly what has um, occurred today regarding Lewis Hammond. Yeah, well you're absolutely right Courtney and for those of you that obviously aren't aware it's finally happened. Lewis Hamilton has finally equaled Michael Schumacher's all-time race wins record in Formula One after securing his 91st Grand Prix victory at the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring in Germany, around 50 kilometres or so away from Michael's birthplace in Copenhagen. So a very fitting venue for an achievement like this for Lewis Hamilton. He's finally got over the line, although let's be honest, it's almost in record time and to sum it all up, Courtney, a very much action-packed weekend, starting from Friday, where we had literally no running in practice following the fog that we had, the weather which prevented the medical helicopter from being able to not necessarily fly, but from being able to land at a safe destination, which prevented them from doing any running, which on the surface isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think Formula One fans have been crying out for a long time to reduce the number of practice sessions to try and add a bit more unpredictability to the race weekend. I think in the past, so many fans, myself included, have felt that there's too much practice going on, which allows the teams to optimise their setups, optimise their tyre strategies, learn so much more than they probably need to know, to a point where the race is already sort of calculated by the numbers and the data they receive, where when you're in a situation like this, it throws so many caveats your way. You don't have the data. You don't have the knowledge of what you would need to run a perfect weekend. It just creates so much more unpredictability. And more often than not, it generates an exciting race. And this race certainly had its moments. I suppose the only people who will feel a little bit disappointed, Corny, are Mick Schumacher and Callum Eilat, who were originally scheduled to make their Formula 1 debuts in FP1, but were unable to do so as a result of the weather. What do you think about that? Friday, uh, the admittance of Friday sessions in the future corner. Is this something that you would probably like to see more often as Formula One progresses? It certainly contributed to the race that we had today. Um, you know, not only was there a lack of understanding, you know, it, it would be pretty um, ominous for the teams on the best of weekends, but we had another thing we don't often see in Formula One races, and that is a cold track. Um, but I believe. I believe it to be true. Um, the track temperature, no, the air temperature didn't get any higher than nine degrees Celsius, which is uh, very rare to see in Formula One. And putting all those things together, it certainly um, contributed to the race we had. I reckon it well could have contributed to a couple of the uh, DNFs we had today, and it probably contributed to one of the uh, focal points of the race, which was um, Valtteri's lock-up at Turn 1, which gave Lewis the lead. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Corny. And as we say, for the race itself, qualifying, obviously, there was a lot of interesting moments, one of which was the uh, 
you know, the admittance of Lance Stroll, who wasn't well on Saturday morning, wasn't COVID related from what we understand. So just a regular illness for Lance, which rendered him unable to drive the car during the weekend, which meant he was replaced by the uh, super stand in Nico Hulkenberg, who just happened to be uh, just a couple of, well, just an hour or so away from the circuit and was able to stand in for him. And Nico did a great job. As always, but of course we will talk about that in a bit more depth. But as you mentioned, Corny, yes, Lewis Hamilton once again getting the win. It's his, uh, I believe, his eighth win of the season already. And it just goes from strength to strength for Lewis Hamilton. Equally, Michael Schumacher's record, as we mentioned, of 91 race victories. And the race itself started off very much in a punchy fashion, it must be said. Valtteri Bottas on pole position, doing a very good job to get on poles. Not often that Valtteri tends to pip Lewis Hamilton, but in certain unpredictable conditions, when you don't get much running, you don't, the, the conditions, I suppose, they don't follow the norm in terms of the weather being warm and the tyres being difficult to get up to temperature and working range. Valtteri does tend to have this edge to being able to just get in a car like that and just deliver the speed straight away, whereas Lewis tends to build his up over the course of the weekend. So, Valtteri being able to take advantage of that in qualifying in the race itself started off very punchy in that incident with Lewis at turn one where the Mercedes were both on very cold tyres on a cold track almost going into each other but Valtteri managed to hang in there and retake the lead from Lewis and then of course it tended to transpire with the top three including Max Verstappen pulling away from a very very slow Charles Leclerc clearly the Ferrari in his hands, much faster on a Saturday than it is on a Sunday at the moment. But of course, we'll get to them in due course. But then as the race progressed in its early stages, Valtteri making a critical mistake, getting a huge flat spot on his front tyres, locking his brakes, surrendering the lead to Lewis almost out of nowhere. We just about managed to catch the tail end of that incident in its latter stages. Lewis managed to take the lead and then it just got worse and worse for Valtteri in terms of his fortunes, unfortunately. He had from what we understand, suffered a MGUH issue, which pretty much took him out of the race. It reduced his power to practically nothing worth competing with, and he had to pull in and retire the car. So almost as if everything was going right for Valtteri following the Russian Grand Prix success, equally this weekend, everything that could have gone wrong for Valtteri on Sunday did go wrong. And as a result, Corny, it's probably fair to say after Lewis winning this race that now Valtteri training Lewis by 69 points, I believe it is, this championship could pretty much be one and done for Lewis, if it wasn't already. Yeah, I mean, uh, unless there are some serious problems with uh, reliability for Lewis, I can't see anything but seeing Lewis getting that seventh world championship. Um, but going back to that moment with, uh, with Valtteri, Looking up, I, I feel it is very uh, reminiscent of some of the battles that Lewis had with Nico Rosberg. When Rosberg um, started ahead of Lewis sometimes, Lewis would be very patient because in this era of Formula 1, it's very difficult to overtake, so patience is key. And we, we saw it particularly in the latter stages of the season. If, if Nico started ahead of Lewis... Lewis would just stay patiently behind him, just enough to look after the tyres, but then start putting pressure. And this is what happened today. Lewis got just outside of a second away from um, Valtteri Bottas, which is important in terms of DRS. And it was almost as if Valtteri had a similar moment that Nico did on a few occasions, where he felt the pressure and made a lock-up in a, in a big turn at turn one. 
And Lewis took advantage a lot of, a lot of the time when it comes to Nico, and it seems like he'd done the same job to um, Valtteri today. So, as much as Valtteri has progressed in the last race or so, it definitely uh, definitely still has a lot more thinking to do when it comes to beating Lewis over the course of a season. Yeah, I mean, it's refreshing to see that Valtteri, at long last, was able to start fighting back with Lewis, really get aggressive to a point where, you know, you're sort of watching it on TV and I'm thinking, yes, Valtteri, finally, you're you're fighting with your teammate. None of this diplomacy stuff or try and do fair racing. Really get stuck in there and try and battle him because you're fighting for a world championship. And, you know, ultimately, it's probably a too little too late before a wheel was turned this weekend. But, you know, despite the misfortune that followed for Valtteri, which really took him out of contention for the race, if his mistake early on hadn't already done so, because it forced him into an earlier pit stop. And then the first virtual safety car of the race came out, which allowed Lewis and Max a free pit stop almost. You kind of felt that Valtteri needed to be doing this a lot more earlier in the season. I I think there comes a point where, you know, without sounding too harsh on Valtteri and criticising, because we have done that quite a lot on this podcast in particular, but... You almost feel that if you continue to drive the way that you are, you're not going to win against Lewis Hamilton. So the only option you have available to you if you want to beat Lewis is to be a lot more aggressive, take those risks. Sometimes you may end up in the gravel trap alongside Lewis like Nico did or you have an incident with him and yeah, the team might be a bit peed with you over it. But if they can see that you're winning races and winning world championships like Nico was, there's absolutely no reason why they would have any doubts or concerns in keeping you in the car, much less to the fact that they probably didn't have those concerns too much whilst Valtteri was doing a good job coming in second place and playing a rear gunner to Lewis. So, you know, it's that conundrum that Valtteri has that he really needs to make sure that he is very punchy and aggressive when battling Lewis Hamilton because there's no other way to beat him. Unfortunately, the elements weren't on his side today and uh, the misfortunes that transpired following that incident. But for a moment, it, it was quite good to see Valtteri have uh, a more punchy approach, I suppose, to fighting his teammate. It's just a shame that he's not doing that more often because he probably would win a lot more battles than he loses by doing that. I think the rest of the season's um, very important for Valtteri. You know, even if there is a likely outcome, he doesn't win this world championship. What he needs to do is have um, a positive momentum going into next season because I feel the next season is vital for him in several ways. First of all, I feel that with the big regulations coming in 2022, this could be his last real opportunity to win a world championship. I know Mercedes are very good at adapting, but. You can't help feel that with a new era in Formula 1, you might have a new fastest team. So this could well be his last opportunity next season. Also, we've discussed in previous episodes, Valtteri is driving for the most sought-out seat in Formula 1. There are drivers queuing up for that second seat. You know, we mentioned the likes of um, George Russell, or even Max Verstappen going forward, given the uncertainty surrounding Red Bull. So... Veltri really does need to, because there has been improvements, fair play for the guy, there's been improvements in the last couple of races, but he needs to not let himself get too down over the weekend he's had, or how it's ended. Carry some momentum going into next season, because I feel that next season will be his final chance to win that World Championship, or even stay at um, Mercedes. It's a make-or-break career moment for him coming up. Yeah, definitely so. I think the most interesting and strange set of events that sort of transpired today was the lack of reliability and issues that didn't just 
take Valtteri out of the race. It also struck against Esteban Ocon, Alex Albon, and even Lando Norris as well, which was strange because three of those drivers, with the exception of Alex Albon, took new engine parts this weekend. So there is a concern that you know the lack of Friday running may where they would normally spot these issues may have uh, you know contributed. I mean. Don't get me wrong, I I don't want to see people's races ruined by these mechanical issues. But again, it's another caveat that not having the Friday running can seem to create more unpredictable races. And it makes it more valuable to try and want to actually get the higher positions. Because you may find yourself later on in a position where you're taken out of a race uh, through no fault of your own. And you end up needing to bank on the points you've acquired in previous ones. So it's an element that I think perhaps... You know, this unpredictability element that Formula One does tend to lack more so than in previous series in this one. And, you know, it's something that we're going to be seeing as well at Imola in a couple of weeks time where there won't be any Friday running. Now, the reason for those of you that don't know why that is the case is it's not an experiment, but it's more down to the fact that the logistics of traveling from Portimao all the way to Imola in the space of a week is just so difficult where if you had the Friday running most of the teams probably wouldn't have all of their equipment there. So they need to just make it Saturday, Sunday only. So that's why they're doing it there. But it's a good example or a good idea to kind of test out a shortened race weekend format. I certainly would be for it. I don't know about you, Corny, but you know, from what we've seen today, whether or not the practice or the lack of practice contributed to that. I mean, the last time we had that was the US Grand Prix back in 2018, where we saw that incredible race where Kimi Raikkonen got his final win for Ferrari before moving on and that was a great race because it completely threw strategy out of the window I'm just wondering what are your thoughts on this Friday running should we moving forward get rid of Friday practice or is it something you feel needs to continue I think it depends what you want to see because we're very sport fans have their own opinions of what they like to see I imagine most fans would like to see more races like this where it's been unpredictable and of course going forward we're talking about cost cuts that would be um that'd be um, very beneficial for that to uh not be um, for there not to be a friday practice session because at the end of the day running these engines running all these parts and everything associated with a practice session does cost money mm. so in terms of making it more unpredictable and cutting money or cutting costs then it's a great idea but if you're if you're a fan that doesn't want to see races decided based on reliability issues, but today today was an example, we could have seen a great battle between Lewis and Valtteri and was robbed by that because of um, Valtteri's own reliability issues and it has killed off the World Championship. So it, it's, it, it, to summarise, it would make it the actual event on the Sunday more interesting for fans, but what does it do in terms of the outcome of a season? That's, that's the question, but generally speaking, yeah, I'm pretty much on your side of this one. It would definitely make races more entertaining. Yeah, I mean, reliability has always been something that in many years ago in Formula One was always an important factor. You had to make sure that your car was reliable. And these cars are pushed to the absolute limit in terms of what they're capable of of a durability perspective. And that's why they're so reliable now, more reliable than we've ever seen. So in Formula One 10, 15 years ago, seeing four retirements related to mechanical issues or engine problems would be the norm 
it'd almost be an expectation. But these days, it's almost like a, a crisis situation where we ask these questions on podcasts about the significance of Friday practice in terms of reliability and, and what that necessarily means. So, you know, no one, as I said before, no one wants to see races ruined by reliability, but it is an element that in Formula One has been kind of nerfed over the years because of how bulletproof these cars tend to be. Sometimes it just adds to the, the spectacle and adds to the show. So I think... Not just for this reason, as you mentioned, cost-cutting. Sometimes there's too much practice. Sometimes the drivers don't need to. And also, because of the lack of tyres that are available, they can't really make use of the allotted time anyway because they need to save tyres for qualifying in the race. They only get a finite amount for practice. So, you know, there's that element you have to look at as well. Um, moving back to the race, of course, we've mentioned a lot about Mercedes already. Max Verstappen, a solid performance from him in second place. Did a good job. He was on pace with the Mercedes early on, as he had shown in qualifying. It just felt that, for Max's case, it was one of those days where if he was going to beat the Mercedes, he needed something major to happen. And uh, it just didn't really seem to have an answer or have the speed available to beat Lewis today. Yeah, it, it seemed to be a typical weekend for Max. I mean, apart from Veltri breaking down, if he had stayed on track, it would have been a typical Mercedes 1-2 with... Uh, Max Verstappen being the best of the rest and uh, let's not forget he got a fastest lap as well I think he, he seemed to um, particularly enjoy that and um, yet again in comparison to his teammate he's streets ahead of him another fantastic performance by Max and I must add it was a very probably one of the most happiest podiums I've seen in a very long time yeah absolutely and of course that was in certainly a large amount by Daniel Ricciardo finally getting that long elusive podium that Renault have been struggling for so long and working so hard to get they finally realized that today in Daniel Ricciardo it's their first podium since Malaysia back in 2011 and remember Nick Heifeld on that day getting that podium so a huge day for Renault but in all fairness Courtney this is something that We've expected this season Renault to finally achieve. They've made huge leaps and bounds in terms of their car development this season. They had a few years beforehand where they struggled with concepts. They kind of pretty much redesigned this car almost from scratch compared to how it was last year. And it's finally culminated in seeing Daniel Ricciardo, who has been one of the brilliant, outstanding drivers this season, finally getting that podium. So... I mean, it's well-deserved for Renault. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, because Renault look like now, in some regards, they probably are the leading team outside the top two. Well, yeah, I mean, the last couple of races that um, Renault were performing well in, they would they tend to be power-specific tracks. So it was well thought that Renault might just be benefiting from the... Uh, pretty much it being track-specific. But we went to a circuit today which is a lot more reliant on downfalls, which is why you saw Red Bull get closer to Mercedes. And they excelled yet again. So it seems that Renault have put together a car that does well in pretty much every circuit it goes to. It's done well also in um, in a range of temperatures. It's done well in the last couple of races where it's warmer. And it's done well today where it's been a lot colder. So it seems they've put together a very solid package and... Yeah, going back to your first point, the champ- the championship, um, the constructors' championship between third and fifth, I believe, is separated between well, separated between like eight points, I believe. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, it's so, very very close. Yeah. 
So with the momentum being on Renault's side, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they ended up finishing third, which would be fantastic for them. Going into a new era with um, Alpine and uh, Fernando Alonso coming in. So that could set us up nicely going into 2021. Very much so. And Racing Point, as you've mentioned before, they're now occupying third place with that fourth place finish for Sergio Perez ahead of McLaren. It's so, so tight. And Daniel Ricciardo moving into fourth in the Drivers' Championship behind, of course, Max Verstappen and the two Mercedes drivers. I think, you know, we'll talk a bit more about the podium and what that means for Renault going forward. But, you know, if you're Daniel Ricciardo right now, it's fair to say that this is probably the best we've seen him drive since the height of his Red Bull days. In some respects, maybe as good as we've ever seen Daniel. He's at the peak of his powers at the moment. He'll want to keep that going. The interesting conundrum that perhaps Daniel is not thinking about too much, only he will know if he does feel a little bit uh, regretful or remorseful about this. But with Renault up in their game so much compared to where they were this time last season, or at least at the start of the season, since then, Daniel Ricciardo has signed that contract with McLaren, which was kind of instigated on the reaction of Ferrari dropping Vettel at the end of the season and signing Carlos Sainz. Do you think perhaps Daniel Ricciardo is starting to feel a little bit remorseful or regretful over not giving his Renault team more time and signing that contract with McLaren because there's every argument that he could be making a switch now to a team that is starting to lose a little bit of ground to the one that he's currently at. It must be mixed emotions for him because, yeah, there's there's no doubt in that Renault are going places and it, it makes me wonder if Renault are benefiting from uh, losing customers because they, they're able to put more of their resources into this one team, which is worth thinking about. But yeah, it must be mixed emotions for Daniel because, yeah, Renault are doing well. But he's going to a McLaren team that have had a bit of a resurgence themselves and they do have that Mercedes engine next season. So they will definitely be making a step forward. But I just think it leads on to next season being a lot more intriguing in midfield. But I feel that in this turbo hierarchy era, the midfield has always been the most interesting factor of it. But I think I'm, I'm predicting next season is going to be closer than ever, and it'll be it'd be interesting to see two big Formula One names in Renault and McLaren battling for third spot, even if Ferrari make a resurgence. So you'll be having some very big names battling for podiums and maybe wins in, in um, exceptional circumstances. Well, I think so we, all yeah. these moves that are happening, yeah, they're definitely leading to shall we say, more entertaining races. Even though everyone wants to see at the front, I just think some of the moves these teams are making in the midfield, and obviously with Aston Martin coming along as well next season, I think next season could be a cracker. I think we can all agree, fans, you know, subscribers, viewers alike, that we do want to see a more competitive field. We want to see the pack closer together. And, you know, thankfully the midfield battle at the moment is, as it's been the last couple of years, is providing the core entertainment in terms of the championship. It's almost as if you've got the Class A at the front with Mercedes on their own and Max Verstappen in the Red Bull keeping them honest at the very, very least. And then you've got the battle in the midfield with Renault, McLaren, Racing Point, Ferrari and Alpha Tauri on occasion as well. It just provides a different element to this championship, which with the new rules and the budget caps being introduced for 2022 and even some elements in 2021, hopefully we'll bring them a bit closer together. This is kind of shaping towards where we want to be. And it's only going to get better. So that's what we're hoping for. We just need to hope that these new regulations deliver the um, required 
racing circumstances, I suppose, rather than creating more obstacles that these more recent regulation changes have provided. Just one more quick note on Renault, of course. It's a shame for Esteban Ocon that he had the uh, issues. Obviously, he's not able to get the most out of his car in the same way that Ricardo is. That's something that Renault are going to have to be concerned about because whilst he's still learning his way and getting to grips with this, with Fernando Alonso coming next season, there's no guarantee that Alonso is going to be able to deliver that blistering pace he still had, even in his later McLaren days. It is something that Renault will have on their mind given that Ricardo is moving on to another team. But I just wanted to um, sort of a bit ingest point out the promise that Cyril Abitabor made to uh, Ricardo at Renault was if that if he managed to get a podium he would get a tattoo that I'm sure Daniel himself would have some sort of input as to what that will be so uh, they did ask Daniel this in the interview and he did say yeah it's it's a real thing it's going to happen probably something to do with me but with a bit of a German flavour I mean I don't know about you Courtney but I'm imagining uh, the US office that episode where Andy mm-hmm. promises his staff if they get a certain number of points or do a certain amount of work that he would get a tattoo that they would design on his uh, derriere or gluteus maximus if you like I- I'm imagining n- s- something similar but with uh, a Daniel having a shoey moment tattooed on Cyril's gluteus maximus what do you think? Right, I'm going to go with a different one. Let's let's see. We could both be completely wrong. I've got two theories. So the first one will be a honey badger eating a German sausage. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and then you've got um, then a honey badger wearing lederhosen. So let that sink in. Yeah, well, I don't think that's something I've ever seen before, um, a honey badger in lederhosen. Um, I mean, I was going to say to to the viewers or listeners in this case, if they have any better suggestions of what tattoos Cyril should get and where, to leave it in the comments. I mean, I'm still going to ask you guys. So if you are listening on YouTube or even on Spotify, you can log on to the YouTube channel in the comment section of this video. Let us know what tattoo design you think Cyril should get and also where you think he should get it. But please keep it. Uh, PG. So I think Gluteus Maximus, I think, is as far as we'll go on that one. So nothing too um, private, I suppose, is probably the right way put, to put it, or heinous, if you like. But um, yeah, I, I, can't, I don't think we can get much better than that, Corny. It certainly beats my shoey idea. Unfortunately, we didn't see Daniel do the shoey on the podium. Yeah, Normally, Co- it's Co- on... Co- COVID robbed us of shoeys. It's robbed us, it's robbed us of so much this, um, this year. But the worst thing that it's taken from us is Daniel Rick's uh, shoeys. Yeah, I was doing it, but unfortunately, the killjoy that is COVID nineteen has uh, stricken us yet again. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as if that it's been so long for Daniel, he's almost forgotten how to do it. But yeah. um, I'm sure, you know, whenever he gets his next one, he'd be reminded, or he might just do one in private anyway. It's Daniel, you see, you know, that's the best thing about Daniel. What you see is what you get with him. So great character, and and brilliant to see him on the podium once again. So um, with that in mind, I think it's a good opportunity to take a break as we're at the halfway stage. So in the second part, we'll analyse and review the performance from some of the other drivers on the grid. And of course, including a brilliant comeback for the super sub, super stand-in that is Nico Hulkenberg. So until then, we'll see you in part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. <laughs> So welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So the second half of our Eiffel Grand Prix race review, I'm never going to get used to calling it that, I prefer the German one, but 
a lovely moment that sort of befitted us at the end of the race was when the F2 Championship leader, Mick Schumacher, the son of Michael Schumacher, presented Lewis with a replica of one of Michael's helmets from his time at Mercedes, donning that design. And um, I don't know about you, Corny, but that was an absolutely beautiful, touching moment from the Schumacher family to present Lewis with that helmet, to acknowledge Lewis equaling Michael's 91 race wins in Formula One record, which pretty sure Lewis will eventually be. I mean, what was that like to you, Corny? I think the only thing that I can say that was slightly a little bit bittersweet with that moment is that Michael himself was not there to see this and present the helmet to Lewis himself. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, mate, to be honest. Yeah, it was um, it was shown that Michael wasn't there, but the next best thing, shall we say, um, you know, Mick, who could well have a big future in Formula 1 himself, handing, um, handing a trophy over, uh, the helmet, shall I say. And you never know, if... Um, if things go really well for Mick when he comes in, maybe one day you'll see Lewis Hamilton handing one of these helmets over to Mick. You never know. Well, Mick's going to have to win a lot of races for something like yeah. that to happen. <laughs> I mean, it's similar to what we saw in Canada um, last, uh, a couple of years ago when Lewis was presented with an Ayrton Senna helmet by the Senna family to acknowledge the all-time pole record that Lewis Hamilton had broken by getting pole in that race. And uh, similar emotions going on there I I suppose this one it's almost I mean it's not a changing of the guard moment but it's to acknowledge how significant this achievement is for Lewis Hamilton and what it means not just to himself but also to Formula One as well you know you see these records in so many sports these monumental records that I think for Michael Schumacher there aren't many sports that have records as great as these one in terms of where they compare to everyone else in the sport and for Lewis to not only uh, equal them but will probably go on to beat them as well and set the new standards it does beg the question how many more is Lewis going to achieve before eventually he moves on and uh, sets down the gauntlet if you like to the remaining drivers that will follow him I think yeah after um, we'll have the rest of this season and then next season perhaps and I've, I feel this is what my head is telling me. I feel the, the, the end of this season and the rest of next season will be possibly the last we see of Prime Lewis Hamilton. And I just feel with new regulations coming in, that's when you'll have the new generation of drivers really dominate the sport, like Verstappen, Leclerc. You know, if, if things go well for Lando and George, you've got them coming through as well. Um, I just feel that 2022 could be the moment that a new era starts. So it'll be very interesting to see um, what Lewis does, it'd be it'd be great to see Lewis uh, reach hundred pole positions because he's not far off. He's at ninety ninety four, I believe. Yeah, it's insane that is. So you know, no no one even touches him when it comes to poles. I think um, I think I think it was sixty sixty something, wasn't it? I think that was the set the the, the pole record. I think that did Ayrton set Ayrton Senna set that. Yeah, Senna Senna was next, and then mm. uh, Michael Schumacher after that. So you've got so he's so far ahead when it comes to pole positions. Um, and yeah, in terms of races, you know, if, if he goes on to, you know, carry if him and Mercedes carrying on the form that they're on, he could well go over 100 race wins, which is just it's, it's simply amazing. And as I said at the very start, you know, as as somebody that has supported Lewis Hamilton from the start of his Formula One career, it is still sinking in. Yeah, we've known it was coming, but it's still sinking in that the guy that you supported from the start 
has come along and equaled all-time Formula 1 race wins. It's simply incredible. Hmm. And will set new standards, I'm absolutely sure. Not just that, but possibly World Championships too. Of course, Lewis, it, the rumours are going around that they are very, very close to agreeing a deal with Mercedes to be announced very, very soon, which expects Lewis to be around for at least another three more years. So, you know, some of the drivers thinking, is Lewis going to be done? Well, we'll probably have to worry about him until at least the end of 2023. But we'll have to wait and see when that news gets confirmed. If, of course, that is absolutely correct in terms of a rumour but we'll have to wait and see on that one so moving on to the incredible success of Lewis Hamilton we'll move to a driver now who has had a mixed bag this season has had his good moments of course that first podium in Mugello for the Red Bull team to a day like today which proved to be very very difficult in contrast and ultimately ended in him retiring and that was Alex Albon so, Courtney, I know you, you wanted to talk about Alex a little bit on this one. A very strange race for Alex. He never really was anywhere near on par in terms of pace with Verstappen in qualifying. He got pipped by Charles Leclerc in qualifying in the race. He obviously very nearly crashed early on, almost going into the Ferrari, funny enough, into turn number three. And... I suppose it begs the question with Alex, because once he flat-spotted those tyres in the opening stint, he completely ruined his race. You know, there's still these rumours surrounding that second seat at Red Bull. Whilst we both expected Albon to stay on, the fact that Red Bull haven't gone out to confirm this for definite, is this something that is weighing on his mind still and perhaps affecting his driving? I mean, possibly. Like, you know, we've had the conversation so many times with we prepare him to Max, and... The, the main problem that Alex had to start with was his um, was his qualifying. And he seems to have got close, you know, because like, often he wasn't even getting out of Q2 at the start of the season. He, he seemed to have made some progress, but it seems to have switched around a bit because what would usually happen? He'd usually start, you know, in like 11th, 13th, whatever, and he'd work his way up the grid. And usually he'd have some very solid race weekends, which would make up for the Saturday. But it seems like this afternoon he completely ruined what was a pretty solid position where, yet again, Red Bull could have, um, you know, considering Valtteri went out, Red Bull really could have done with um, Alex being there or thereabouts to give Mercedes a headache when it comes to deciding Lewis's strategy. And he just he just seemed to be really clumsy, like really like making some mistakes that you should, really shouldn't be making at that level. I know it's, it's easy, it's easy coming from a guy that's just like talking from his bedroom on the phone. Who's never driven uh, a sports car before? But just just watching, you just watching. I think you, you shouldn't be making those mistakes at that level. And I don't know. For me personally, you know, I've, you should always you should always give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, because it's it's tough. It's tough to race at that level. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm just looking from the outside, and I'm just thinking about some of the drivers who could potentially be dropping out of the sport, or are uh, who should really be with their talent. They should really be in a team like Red Bull, challenging for podiums and wins, and we're not seeing it. And it's, it's just for me, I'd, just, I'd love to see a Perez or a Hulkenberg or a George Russell in a team like Red Bull, and I just feel they'd offer a lot more to the races. And unfortunately, we could be losing some of these names. And whilst we have someone like Alex being clumsy and wasting some really good opportunities for Red Bull. It's something that is concerning for Red Bull because whilst they've 
unanimously backed Alex in recent weeks in terms of his future at the team, it does raise questions over whether Red Bull, if they hadn't already, were starting to have doubts over whether or not he's the man that can take them forward and give Red Bull another dimension, I suppose, in this battle with the Mercedes team. As you mentioned already, Red Bull have had this conundrum all season where whilst they aren't able to provide Max with the car at the moment to beat the Mercedes on a regular basis, it just shows that in Alex, they're not able to have a second driver to really give Mercedes something else to think about. Verstappen has been fighting them on his own single-handedly and with that extra car. And this is something that's happened a lot, whether it was Max or whether it was Vettel in Ferrari or even Leclerc in Ferrari as well. It's always been an element that Mercedes have always had at least two cars to fight for race wins and fight off uh, other teams and change the strategy to work in their favour. And most of the time it does work out that way, other than the odd exception, as we saw in the 70th anniversary race, where Red Bull played a blinder in terms of the strategy and Max in particular. And for me, I kind of look at a few things. I look at the way Alex is driving. I look at what happened to Pierre Gasly last year, how that affected him. It does make me wonder if simply just putting another driver in that car is going to fix the the problem because, you know, you've seen two very young up-and-coming drivers with excellent pedigree from junior categories very, very quick when they drive for AlvaTauri and Toro Rosso respectively. And as we've seen Gasly doing a great job now since he's returned to AlvaTauri with his second top six finish of the season, including that win in Monza. But you kind of look a bit further than just the drivers. Part of me wonders... Is it because Red Bull have designed a car which is so complicated to drive and extract the maximum performance that only someone like a Max Verstappen can deliver on that in terms of the blueprint performance? Is it something that Red Bull have a car that's so complicated that drivers like Alex and Pierre Gasly, who have gone out and said that the car is more difficult to drive than a Red Bull, um, you know, it creates a problem where if you simply put someone like you mentioned, Courtney, like a Perez or a Hulkenberg, you know, two drivers that are looking for seats next year into that car, that we wouldn't just see the same problem for them as we've seen already for the likes of Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly, who to Gasly's credit is in no hurry to jump back into that Red Bull. Well, no, you can't blame Gasly. He's been doing great since he went back to um, who are now Alpha Tauri. But it's one of those things that we'll never truly know until we see the likes of a Perez or a Hulkenberg join the team. It just, I, I just feel they've got the exceptional talent in Max, but I think they need a solid backup driver. And if you look at people like Perez and Hulkenberg, they're so experienced. They've they've driven a variety of cars. They've had some decent cars, but they've also had some awful cars in their careers as well. So they just I just feel like they have the experience to deal off I think Red Bull need to look at these kind of drivers to actually firm up the team and like help them challenge because they go into next season and they are closer to Mercedes that is what could well make the difference between them winning and losing the championships very much so and of course what doesn't help Red Bull's case is the fact that we haven't really seen a second driver in that team that can really deliver these kind of results and race wins on a regular basis since Daniel Ricciardo moved on into uh, Renault. And, and in a way, he kind of see the shift uh, change from the team, shifting towards Max's side of the garage. So it was something he pre- almost preempted, if you like. 
and uh, maybe this is something Red, Red Bull is struggling with, being able to have a car that's allowing both drivers. Because, I mean, Alex Albon, once again today, this weekend, he had a new chassis that he was going to use that they were going to test, but they weren't able to do that on Friday because of the lack of practice. So they had to change it back to the original one. They're trying to find different ways to allow Alex to extract this performance. But for whatever reason, it's not happening. And once again this weekend, as we mentioned, he flat spotted two sets of tyres, which really ruined his strategy. And of course, he got that five second penalty for driving into Danny Kvyat and taking off his front wing after trying to complete a move. It, I mean, that's not to, you know, as you said, Courtney, I've did a little driving in a Formula Renault spec car. That's the best I've ever had. But so, you know, and, it, and even that day we weren't allowed to overtake people properly. So it was a bit of a different thing. But even then, you kind of think that it's those little casual mistakes that someone of Alex Albon's calibre that we know is there shouldn't really be making unless there's something going on that's perhaps taking the focus away from him a little bit where these mistakes are crawling into his driving. Yeah, like it's been tough for him. Like, it, since he's joined Red Bull, so, and we seen we saw the same with Gasly, it must be really draining for them to consistently try to keep somewhere near Max. I think this is showing that exceptional Max is, though. To be fair, yeah, that um, is true. We would you, but definitely this is definitely highlighting it. When you have a difficult car, it does show. Yeah. So let, let, let's let's remember how exceptional Max has been. But yeah, it might it must be draining. And I think because we saw it with Gasly, I remember watching the. Um, the Netflix series from last season, you could see like he was he was in 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 a Formula One standard, he was broken mentally. And I don't want to use that use that term. That's why I had to make it relative to Formula One because I don't want to touch on mental health. But in terms of Formula One, he looked mentally broken because if you imagine how much preparation it takes to go into a race weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely, you're and right. You try, yeah. and you're already playing cut up in your mind, and there's so much pressure, you know, because because. If, if we're saying this, we're saying that we want to be seeing different drivers in the seat. You can imagine what people are saying within the team. So they've got all this pressure going on. And we saw it happen to Gasly, and it seems like the same thing's happening to Albon. But unfortunately, Formula 1 is the pinnacle of motorsport. And there are only a limited amount of drivers, particularly these days, who are going to be gunning for those seats. And as harsh as it, harsh as it is, unless Alex really picks up his game... There are drivers that are, based on current form, more worthy to be in that seat than Alex is right now. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But it's, it's something for Red Bull to think about. Speaking of the two drivers that we were talking about already linked with a potential seat at Red Bull, Sergio Perez and Nico Hulkenberg for Racing Point, uh, all things aside, you know, the, the news about Lance Stroll obviously not being able to compete because of illness this weekend. Other than that, it was a fairly successful weekend for mm-hmm. Racing Point, which almost uh, provided them with a podium Result is definitely one of the better performances from Sergio Perez, taking advantage of the strategy change and the safety car, and also executing that opening stint very, very nicely. Very unfortunate the safety car came out at the end, probably prevented him from getting that podium against Daniel Ricciardo. But, uh, you know, good job from Sergio. Definitely the sort of performance he wanted to put in to keep those teams that he might be in talks with uh, interested and perhaps giving him an option for next season, but we'll have to wait and see how that develops. But just a quick touch on Nico Hulkenberg as well, Courtney. Now, Nico Hulkenberg, we know, you know, the man who's so experienced in Formula 1 has found plenty of success in single-seater racing in his junior career. Of course, one pole position in Brazil back in, uh, I think it was 2012, memory serves me right. One of the uh, only eight drivers, actually, that have previously competed in Formula 1 
at the Nürburgring, um, along with Raikkonen, Hamilton, Vettel, Ricardo, Perez, Bottas and Roman Grosjean. For those of you that were wondering who the other seven were. But what a fantastic effort from Nico Hülkenberg. You know, he's had such limited running. This is only his second official race. Technically, he didn't start the British Grand Prix uh, owing to issues with the car on the day. But to come in at such short notice, and we're talking literally minutes before uh, qualifying, to finish the race in eighth position after starting last on the grid practically, what an incredible performance from Nico Hülkenberg. A fantastic achievement, which resulted in him being awarded Driver of the Day and thoroughly deserved. I mean, what did you make of the Hulk's performance today? Well, the performances by himself and Sergio Perez today have completely fed the sentiment that I've like, explained to you. I just, I just think it'd be a massive shame to see these drivers leave Formula 1. They still have so much to offer. I just, I just think they've both been like Perez has just been so consistent um, during his time with uh, Racing Point and formerly Force India. And Hulkenberg has all over the course of the season, Hulkenberg has always delivered, and that's why I just, I just, I just thought that they are the type of drivers that are perfect for Red Bull right now. And I don't, I, I, I just think it'd be really sad to see them leave. Today's a prime example. It was a perfect. Let's just say another cliche. It was a perfect audition for them. Whilst Alex was being clumsy again, I, 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 it, I, for me today was a prime example of where Red Bull needs to be looking in the future. Mm. No, absolutely, uh, and I think the the saddest part of it for Racing Point, obviously, with Nico Hulkenberg is concerned, is that you know these we're talking about two drivers, Hulkenberg and Perez, that are looking for a seat. Definitely can offer a lot to many teams in Formula One, but we're just literally running out of seats. As the weeks go by, so you know, in terms of Hulkenberg's future, I don't really think there's an option available to him at this time. He may have to pursue racing in somewhere else to keep him going, or perhaps continue to be involved in Formula One, perhaps in a more developmental capacity in a reserve format. Whilst uh, you know those options might remain open to him, the same for Sergio Perez, but looks more likely perhaps to get one seat. But uh, I can't really imagine many places you could go. Probably Haas at the most, but. Haas, I mean, Gunther Steiner on Friday was telling Natalie Pinkham with Sky that there was as many as 10 drivers on his shortlist. So, you know, and that's not even mentioning the possibility of someone like Callum Eilat, who possibly, in my mind, is still the favourite to be in a Haas next season alongside whoever that may be. You know, I think if there's going to be a seat for Perez, it will probably be there at Haas. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But hopefully, as you mentioned, Courtney, we don't lose too many of these drivers who I think can still offer a hell of a lot in Formula 1. But as we said before, there just aren't the number of seats to accommodate them all. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Moving on to the McLaren team. So a very, very uh, subdued day for them. Carlos Sainz finishing P5. Good performance from him under the circumstances. Lando Norris was driving a very good race and uh, until he had the problem with his engine as well. He had some power issues with his Renault engine. He had new engine parts in his car. Not sure if those contributed to those reliability issues. But I think in Lando's case, you could tell from some of the radio communications where he's becoming increasingly frustrated that he was pretty much on for a podium today until that happened. Um, what do you make of McLaren's day? Um, this, the race that Lando had today reminded me of Spa last season. You know, very solid. And, and actually, despite the moaning on the radio, he was doing fantastic with that um, with that car, given the problems he was having. 
I don't know how these drivers continue to drive the way they do, given all, all the all the buttons that they need to press, all the modes they need to be going. All, all you've got someone talking in there. I, I, that's why I respect Formula One drivers. But I'm, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. But yeah, like he was doing so well, and they, I, because I, I thought he might still get the uh, McLaren in the points, given the problems he had, but he still broke down and it did. It reminds me a lot of um, of uh, Belgium last season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, going into next season, I think next season's going to be big for McLaren. This is going to be their opportunity to try and get back with the big boys, but they need to be um, more reliable for that to happen because McLaren, this has happened with McLaren, even like, a lot of time with signs, actually. McLaren have got themselves into very good positions, whether it be podiums or really good um, points finishes, and there just seems to be random issues, which they really need to be cutting out if they want to be getting back with the big boys. In terms of performance, now that McLaren have dropped behind Racing Point in the Constructors' Championship, were formerly in third place after an impressive start, are we starting to see the tide turn towards Renault and Racing Point? Because in recent weeks, despite Carlos Sainz and Lando driving relatively well, is it fair to say that their car now, if you look at the overall pecking order, that they've fallen behind Renault and Racing Point only slightly, but it does seem like it shift the uh, pace has shifted away from them uh, as it had uh, in, in contrast to the start of the season where they did look the best of the rest. Yeah, I wonder if they're already looking towards next season, particularly with the changes they'll need to make with the new engine coming in. So it could be a possibility that they're already turning their resources to next season because we're all getting to that point of the season, it's, it's blown by. So there is that possibility. Um, but it does seem like they have fallen behind uh, Renault and Racing Point. I, I think I think the exceptional performances that we could see from Sainz and Norris in terms of uh, their their raw talent could define where um, McLaren end up finishing because they're behind but not far enough behind for the drivers to make a difference I feel mm. and at the moment it does seem that they're developing their car to be a more Mercedes like car they yeah. introduced uh, obviously a new Mercedes nose and a new Mercedes front wing this weekend in particular and as you rightly pointed out it probably is in part to accommodate the new Mercedes engine they'll be getting next year so I imagine there'll be more updates on the car they won't want to give up this championship fight I mean it's been a long time since Ms. McLaren finished in the top three of a Constructors' Championship. So they'll keep going, but at the moment it does seem that the tide is shifting away from McLaren towards Renault and Racing Point at the moment, but still plenty of racing left to go. Moving on to, as I mentioned, we covered AlphaTauri already. Kvyat's race was pretty much ruined by that incident with Alex Albon. Uh, Pierre Gasly, a very strange race for him because the strategy wasn't really good for him. He went for the one stopper onto the harder tyres, as Sebastian Vettel did. It didn't really work for Vettel. It certainly wasn't working for Gasly. The safety car really saved his blushes on that one, and, and as a result, managed to pick up a very good P6. His second P6 of the season, the first one... Sorry, the uh, top six finish. His first one was obviously that win in Monza. Another good, solid weekend for Pierre Gasly in the end. Yeah, he's been one of the drivers of the season for me. I think him... I'd probably say... Him, Max and Dan Ricciardo have been the uh, the drivers of the season. And yeah, Gasly's another one. Like, he's, he's another driver that I want to see get given a chance to challenge towards the top. He's um, he's certainly rejuvenated himself after going back to uh, AlphaTauri. 
Yeah, absolutely right. I couldn't agree more with that one. And uh, it, it does look like he's going to be staying there. There's absolutely no signs coming from anyone at Red Bull or even Gasly's camp that they're even thinking about putting him in that car next year with Max Verstappen as it was in 2018. So, you know, that that looks pretty solid there. Another good drive from him. And I think they'll be pretty happy to finish in sixth place under the circumstances. So going from them to talk about Ferrari, who usually appear a lot earlier on our podcast episodes in the past. Today, a mixed set of feelings for them. Probably not the best of days that they probably could have hoped for. I mean, qualifying, they look pretty quick in some regards. Practice to look pretty fast. We were quite limited to the short run pace of the Ferrari in contrast to the long run. So we wasn't really able to ascertain how well those upgrades that they brought on the car was working. Again, Ferrari not necessarily chasing performance. They're just trying to add on little bits to their car, little details with next year in mind to give them a bit more of an understanding how this car will work next year to help them out as best as they can. At first glance, it looked like Ferrari were slowly getting back to closer to where we thought they should really be. They looked like they were at the top of the midfield, especially in Charles Leclerc's hands. Qualifying came round. Charles Leclerc, fantastic performance from him to get into the top four. Uh, he was not too far from the top three in some respects, but he was definitely clear of the rest. Excellent job from him. But once again, as it did in Mugello, as we saw, as the race unfolded very, very quickly, we saw that the Ferrari was nowhere near fast enough in race trim to keep the likes of the Renaults, the Racing Points, and even the McLarens behind him. And I think, you know, first things first, you know, Charles Leclerc, one of the standout performers this season, despite being in such a poor car, was one moment in my mind that, you know, stood out for me with him was, you know, the battle we had with Daniel Ricciardo and, and Sergio Perez, you know, the defensive driving he had, he was very, very aggressive, even on his own teammate. For Charles Leclerc, are we learning more about him as a driver and his capabilities this season in contrast to what we saw from him last year when he was winning races for Ferrari and challenging in the championship? Yeah, well, I think we're seeing from um, Charles Leclerc an extreme of what we're seeing with Max Verstappen. Both driving very difficult cars, respectively, and getting the best out of it. And I definitely consider Charles Leclerc as, uh, as an elite driver now. And, you know, he, he must be getting really frustrated. You know, he, he showcased his talent yesterday to get that car on, onto P4. And just to see himself going backwards, whilst whilst he's seeing drivers who he probably feels he can compete with, just start running away at the front. So there's definitely big grand pressure um, on Ferrari from Charles because he should be he should be up there challenging the um, the best, and uh, it'd be interesting to see where Ferrari go for the rest of the season. But as you already stated, they'll definitely be making baby steps and building up to 2022. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think one thing that we don't really look too much at Ferrari this season because of their pace deficits that they're facing is some of the little mistakes that they still make on race strategy, uh, you know, in the pits as well. Just watching some of the pit stops today, I think they didn't get one pit stop under three seconds for either driver. Little mistakes here, getting all four wheels on the car. I think Leclerc had a 4.4 second pit stop once. I think one thing that really frustrated me the most... um, was the second was well, sorry the safety car towards the end of the race followed from Lando Norris's retirement? I don't know if you noticed, Courtney. What happened was everyone was coming into the pits to change their tires and that. Ricardo come in, Perez come in, Signs come in. 
Leclerc stayed out. But what was really frustrating is the Ferrari team tried to falsely come out of the pit uh, to come to pretend they were going to do a stop to service Charles' car. They brought hard tyres out, so that's how you could tell that they were faking it. But it, it seemed like it was an attempt to trick the Alpha Tauri team into bringing Gasly in to try and put him further down the pack behind a few cars. And what really frustrated with that is Alpha Tauri did it. Whether or not Ferrari forced their hand or not, we don't know. But they made that decision, put Gasly on soft tyres when he definitely wasn't going to want to stay on the harder tyres towards the end of the race because he's been on them for so long, but then overtook Charles Leclerc anyway. So it was one of those where I think the question remains, why is it when Ferrari make these judgment calls and they happen all the time for years now it's almost like boneheaded decisions it's like why are you doing this because by doing that whether or not they intent alvatari responded to what ferrari did um or, or they decided to do it on their own accord they practically cost their driver um the sixth position that he was probably going to get before the safety car came out i think yeah a couple of points yeah this has very much been the case with ferrari for a few years now and some of the decisions did go towards their failure of um, getting close to winning the championship when they had the cars to do it. They definitely made some big decisions, not only the drivers, but the uh, strategists just made some stupid decisions, which have cost them dearly. But I'm not going to lie to you, Adam. I, I had my eyes closed when you said uh, for, um, Ferrari pit. Uh, the, the, the Ferrari mechanics came out to, to dub the uh, Alpha Tauri. Now, if you'd said that to me, four years ago, for example, that Ferrari tried to fool the Toro Rossos that they were competing with. Usually you'd be expecting them to do it against um, Red Bull and Mercedes, but no, we're talking about them competing with Alpha Tower. And it, geez, I, I, don't, I don't know how they end up in the state that they're in. They go from challenging Mercedes and um, uh, Red Bull too challenging an Alpha Terry. I don't know, mate. I don't know. Ah, uh, no. You, you sort of hope that at least while Ferrari are going through these issues, that they'll be able to shore up issues in other areas that they've been lacking that have gone completely under the radar because they're not fighting for race wins like they were. But it, it's still happening, and it does worry me that that Ferrari do need to address these issues. They're not something that what until the car gets better that you can just carry on as normal it needs to be every dynamic because red bull have this on lock mercedes have this all done They're, even the williams team are able to you know get on top of these other things that don't involve the car per se and you know able to maximize their best chances in the race and yet ferrari still make these small mistakes which do add up a lot in formula one it's those small details and one percent circumstances that they get wrong that do ultimately cost them very very dearly and it's something that if they don't sort out they will still have to deal with when eventually they will have a fast car again so that's you know that's a pet peeve i saw today just really annoying me but Charles, nonetheless excellent performance from him once again p7 probably the best he probably could have hoped for under the circumstances um, maybe a P6, but you know, obviously, as we mentioned already, Ferrari kind of made a mess on that one, not pinning him under the safety car at the end and giving him the softer tyres. Moving on to the Haas team now, special shout out to Roman Grosjean. Obviously, we've said so often on this podcast that Grosjean doesn't seem to be able to deliver the consistent performances that he so often was known for. Very quick driver, but just not able to show that perhaps in this car, but also under the circumstances he finds himself in, with his future in jeopardy. But a fantastic performance today. P9, 
And he managed to do that with uh, a bit of an injury, apparently, he sustained, where a piece of gravel that was kicked up by Kimi Raikkonen at turn 10 had shot up and struck his hand as he was turning the wheel, which apparently he said it hit one of his fingers or his thumb. And uh, he said it was quite painful, but he wasn't complaining on the radio much after that. But nonetheless, stayed out when the safety car came in, stayed on the harder tyres and managed to bring it home to finish in P9. So excellent performance from Roman Grosjean. Very much the sort of performance we see every so often from him. It's just a shame for him and the Haas team and particularly Gunther Steiner, who often sings his praises, but equally uh, busts his chops, if you like, when he messes up, that we don't see often enough from Roman Grosjean. It's a huge enigma in Formula One. Yeah, it was the perfect time for him to do it, though. You know, we've been talking about auditions from certain drivers like Perez and Alkenberg, but certainly the case with Grosjean, we've discussed how, you know, we're surprised to see both him and Kevin Magnussen leave, given that Haas Hart, if you're, if you're a driver looking for a seat, it does seem that Haas seems to be, like, the easiest target. So it was really important for Grosjean to, to do this, and... Uh, this could well do him some uh, some good going into the rest of the season. And you never know, if he carries on, he could well save his seat. No, absolutely right. And it's important at this time of the season to really show your employers what you are still capable of. As I said before, I think the problem for him in his defence is that Haas know what he's capable of in good and bad ways. And they probably would like someone that would be more consistent. Or granted, the car's not that great anyway. But going forward, they would want someone... A bit more consistent who that may be. There's so many drivers on the shortlist. I mean, even uh, Nikita Mazepin from F2, his father Dimitri, was rumoured to be buying a large stake in the Haas team. Not sure how true those rumours are, but so many options in the Haas team that almost anybody without a seat in Formula 1 next season could find themselves in there from not just F1, but F2 as well. Uh, I'm still going to stick to Eilat and Magnussen, but Perez could find himself in there. Maybe Hulkenberg will have to wait and see. But, uh, I, great, would like hmm. the, I would like to see Perez and I like that would be my ideal. It uh, seems duo, it seems the popular choice and probably would increasingly become the favourite choice. But it's all so many elements that come into it. And I'm sure Haas wouldn't mind the backing, the financial backing that Perez provides. Let's not forget as well. But um, we'll have to wait and see. And uh, finally, last but not least, um, I mean we covered actually we'll cover Williams briefly as well. But uh, Alfa Romeo worth talking about them for two reasons, Giovinazzi. P10, good performance from him. A driver that neither of us expect to be in that car next season, but a very good performance nonetheless, getting another point. His second points finish of the season, the first of which uh, coming earlier in the season in Austria. And um, Kimi Raikkonen. Now, he had a very mixed race today, very strange race. Um, Had that incident with George Russell, which saw him get a 10-second time penalty. I don't think we can argue that Kimi was definitely in the wrong there. Made that mistake, which cost him the points finish uh, whilst taking George out of the race. And it's today was his 323rd Grand Prix start and finish, which now makes him the all-time most experienced Formula 1 driver, overtaking Rubens Barrichello, the former Ferrari and uh, Braun dr- GP driver, uh, runner-up in five Formula 1 championship seasons, I believe. So, uh yeah, I mean, a very strange day for Kimi Raikkonen, but uh, must be said, what an achievement that is for Kimi to be the all-time most experienced driver in Formula 1. Uh, I mean, do you think that's something Kimi is really bothered about, as someone told him? He didn't exactly look too bothered, did he? No, I, I would say, well done, what a great achievement, Kimi, but I don't think he, he gives a toss, no. to be honest. <laughs> he probably he, just he, go, he, yeah, probably just go, just, you know what? <laughs> 
you know what? In, in a way, I envy the man. You know, he he wakes up in the morning, right? Jumps into a Formula One car, drives around for a couple of hours, and takes his wage home. I mean, who who wouldn't want to live that life, eh? That's a pretty sweet life to live, and uh, Kimmy's certainly enjoying himself. As I mean, he refers to it as a hobby or a bit of a game. It probably weren't yeah. one of the most fun days today. I mean, Martin Brundle said to him, "Surely by now, after that many starts, you must have the perfect start." And he said, "Well, not really." You know, it just you get on with it and just go. In typical Kimmy fashion, I clearly don't do it justice. But um, yeah, no incredible achievement for Kimmy, and uh, what an enticing lineup that could be for next season. If what we believe will happen is Mick Schumacher joining Alfa Romeo to partner Raikkonen to have the uh, Schumacher Raikkonen partnership that we never got at Ferrari, very nearly did in uh, 2007, uh, 2009, I should say as well. And um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you've got. Mick Schumacher with all the experience he's got from junior category obviously not able to get much information at the moment from his dad hopefully you know Michael recovers soon keep fighting you know um, but with the experience and world championship prowess of Kimi Raikkonen it does prove to be an exciting lineup for next season really one that could suit Mick and help him out a lot as he learns the ropes in Formula 1 yeah I'm, I mean you want to you want to be keeping people like him in the sport and uh, as you said, mate, I think he'll do um, Mick Schumacher a lot of good. Mm. Absolutely, and yeah. I, I, I feel that there's um, growing intrigue towards the bottom of the field. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a shame it isn't more competitive at the front because going into next season, you could have a really tight midfield and a lot of intrigue about some of the drivers we could see coming in at the bottom. So, yeah, if, if everyone just sorts their, their game out at the top, we could be in for a cracking season next season. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And uh, obviously, last but not least, we'll talk about Williams briefly. Not the best of days for them. I mean, Latifi did okay in the race today. He finished outside the points. George Russell, again, the enigma with George Russell, despite having the slowest car on the grid at the moment, definitely always delivers on a Saturday. But on a Sunday... For one reason or another, other than Magello, it just doesn't seem to go George's way. Either he makes a mistake, something happens, or in this case, taken out by Kimi Raikkonen, which completely ruined his race. I mean, we've talked about this before with George Russell, but it just seems every single race that we're basically just waiting for George to be in a more competitive car to, in order to gauge where he stands in the pecking order, not just in Formula 1, but also in the cohort of drivers we expect him to be fighting with, the likes of Leclerc, Verstappen, Norris, Sainz, Ocon, you know, all of that, all of the above. So, um, yeah, another frustrating day for Williams and for George Russell as well. Yeah, you know how I feel about George. Uh, really, really frustrated for him. I'd love to see him in either an Aston Martin or a Mercedes, but he, he just seems to be one of the unluckiest guys in Formula 1 at the moment, and I just hope that Williams give him a car to really showcase his talent next season. I hope so too. And uh, on that note, I, I think it's a good opportunity to end this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast for this week. Just to let you know, guys, of course, plug in our social media as we so often do on this podcast. If you are new to us, thank you very much for joining us for this week's episode. Welcome along. It's a pleasure to have you. And if you've joined us since day one, thank you for your undying support as usual. If you are new to us, of course, and you want to follow us on social media, the Twitter handle and Instagram handle is DNF1 underscore podcast. And on YouTube as well. We're on Facebook now, Adam, yes, we are on Facebook as well. I was just going to say, actually. And uh, 
Uh, on YouTube, we are DNF1-F1, uh, sorry, hyphen, I should say, F1 podcast. And that's the same as well for the Facebook page. So, of course, if you are on Facebook, make sure to check out our page and give us a like and a follow as well. So, I think that covers it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for joining us as always. And thank you so much, Courtney, for co-hosting this episode with me, as you so often do. Always a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure. So until then, guys, stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you for inviting us into your uh, ears, if you like. And we will see you in the next DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Podcast Network.